You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. This morning when the elders and the pastors were praying in the, uh, in the office, uh, sort of a theme sort of started to happen in the prayer, and it was one of this idea of newness of life and hope. Uh, spring is around the corner. Um, we've had some really good days. Uh, I realize that there is an ominous forecast for a dip in the temperatures, but let's be honest, winter never releases itself easily. It seems to want to keep coming back and biting at our ankles just a a little bit here and there, but eventually it's gone. Um, And so it is a season of hope. And this morning, that is part of what I want to do in talking to you uh, is to uh, instill hope in us this morning. I want very much to turn our eyes to the cross. I want very much this morning as we are looking at the scriptures uh, that we prepare our hearts for the resurrection, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is our Easter morning event, so to speak. Uh, But there's a lot that we do between now and then to get there in preparing our hearts for that. Um, But this is like the pinnacle uh, season for us as believers in, is this preparation, this getting ready, if you will, this looking towards uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm going to use the metaphor this morning, obviously, of Jesus as the Lamb. We've been using all of these different metaphors uh, throughout this series of being recentered. Uh, the idea here is to, to relook at Jesus and focus on Jesus only. Um, and we've used these metaphors to kind of help us to focus in and see what Jesus is saying about himself. Uh, and now to see what others are saying about him when they actually use these various metaphors. Okay, So this morning, Lamb of God, that is, that is sort of our focus here. And John the Baptist, he, he knew who the Lamb of God was, and he, he also understood sort of the, the purpose of why the Lamb came. And, and when John saw Jesus coming here, as David read for you, he makes this very bold announcement. He says, behold. In other words, take note, look. Hey, you guys, pay attention here. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he sort of comes back and reaffirms that uh, and on the next day. Jesus is walking along, and as Jesus is walking here, he says again, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, John may not have understood everything about Jesus, all right? And I, I would advocate that today you and I probably don't understand everything about Jesus. But hopefully... As we break this apart today and we look at this, we're going to understand the the, the powerful significance of this metaphor of Jesus being uh, described as, said to be, the Lamb of God. You know, in in, um, Luke chapter 7, verse 20, um, he sent, John the Baptist sent a couple of his disciples uh, and he said, this is what I want you to do, I want you to say to Jesus, are you the one? Do we look for another? And uh, so John seems to have this sort of sense at one point of, gosh, are you, are you him? Are you the, are you the one? Is, is there someone else I need to look for? But 
Here in this passage, we see this, this resoluteness, we see this decisiveness, we see this, this confidence here that John the Baptist is saying, hey, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one who takes away sin. And so we're going to camp on this term, Lamb of God, for a few minutes this morning. And I want to kind of take you through the Bible, if you will, because I believe threaded all through the Scriptures, there's this tapestry, there's this this theme that's going on that's threaded from beginning to end. And the theme is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. And so this... This message that we have to bring, this message of redemption, it began in the heart of God. And and what I want to say to you as we start out this morning is that we see God's love even before the first couple was put in the garden. We see God's love and God's plan. Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God is not an afterthought. It's not something that had to happen because God missed it in some way. But we see, we will see that Jesus is God's plan for redemption he is the lamb of god and so the way we do that is we go back so i want to take you from this place of john by the river here somewhere Uh, i want to take you away from john for a few minutes and i want to take you all the way back into the new testament and i want to begin in the book of genesis in chapter four and i'm going to be looking at verses three through seven right there Uh, and i want i want you to see i want to try to take you through and let you grow with the examples throughout the scripture here and i want to begin by talking about this this sort of concept that god lays out this process if you will, that there is a lamb of redemption. All the way back here in in the early part of Genesis, God begins to lay this out. He begins to open that window, so to speak, and we get a little bit of a peep here, okay? So we read here about Cain and Abel, and it says that in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. All right. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. In other words, his countenance dropped. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. This is an amazing passage here because we have this thing going on between these two brothers. And it might be that they're a bit competitive here. But the idea here is that, that in the course of time, Cain brings this offering to the Lord uh, of his first fruits of, of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brings this offering. But it's the firstlings of his flock um, and their fat portions. And the Lord has this great respect or this great regard, this great satisfaction, if you will, in Abel's offering. But for Cain's offering, apparently the Bible says he has no regard. In other words, he doesn't accept it. It's not, it's not enough. And so Cain became very angry at this situation. He was very, very upset and very distraught, apparently. And, and so God sort of challenges him. He says, hey, you know, let's, how, about, how about we get our our attitude right. You know, how about we look at this appropriately? Now, if we go over to Hebrews chapter 11 and we look at verse 4 there, it says to us in the New Testament that
that by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And, and though it was through this offering that he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. All right, It spoke to his righteousness. God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, through though he is dead, he still speaks. In other words, this message is still speaking to us today. So even though Cain perhaps had this sort of attitude problem... Uh, the idea here is that there is a right way to approach God in worship. And there are ways that are not right. There are ways that are acceptable to God to worship Him. And there are ways that are not acceptable to God. All right, And God seems to be instituting this sense here of sacrifice early on at the very beginnings of the book of Genesis. So we see this sort of foundation starting to get laid into place whereby sacrifice is necessary and clearly Abel's sacrifice is is acceptable and and from this point on we see man is always seemingly bringing the animal for the sacrifice this is the starting place so to speak and and now we see this happening it gets more sophisticated uh, as we go along in in the history of the Israelites but this is where it starts. This is where God opens this window and shows us this type, if you will, and where we, we start to begin to see it, all right? So that's kind of point one on the map, if you will, all right? That's our, our starting place. But then we move over in the book of Genesis a little bit further into chapter 22, um, and, and we see where God provides actually a substitute lamb, all right? God is actually providing the lamb in this situation. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the, the, the hand in his hand, the fire and, and the knife, so to speak. The two of them are walking along together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he says, My father, here I am, my son, Abraham says. And he says, Behold the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering. And notice what Abraham says to him. Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So now we see something very different here. We see God actually providing a lamb. God provides a sacrifice in this situation. The two of them walk along together and continue, and you, and you know the story here, but, but the dominant idea here in this whole experience, I think, is, is summed up in these words, God will provide himself the lamb, all right? And I think that's that. Now, the window opens a little bit more. We start to realize that, that God is the initiator here of uh, provision for, for the, the forgiveness of sin. And, and this is the idea here that Yahweh will provide. Yahweh is the provision. So God did exactly that on Calvary. That is exactly what God did as we look more forward here, okay? So, second point on, on the map. So, we have this, this sort of concept, this prospect of a lamb for redemption that, that happens early in the book of Genesis. And now we're moving over to Abraham and Isaac's story. And now we see this provision of a lamb that is being made for, by God for redemption. And so then let's move a little bit further over here and get into the book of Exodus. And we're going to see something else here. I think we'll, we'll begin to see here what the Lamb 
does, what the shed blood does. And so there's this sense of protection that comes from the lamb. And so God is now opening this window even more. And it's very evident in this story of the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus. And the lamb has been appropriated here by faith. There's an action that goes with this. All right, it had to be slain. The blood is applied to each of the homes here. The the father of each household was uh, required to take this this unblemished, like one-year-old lamb uh, and to kill it. Uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 7 says, Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. And so Moses explains the reason for the sacrifice. He goes on to say, for I, God says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt. This is verses 12 and 13. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, the night of the Passover. I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, here's the key, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike in judgment. In other words, when I strike the land of Egypt, when I pass judgment, you will be preserved. There will be protection for you, and it will be because of the sign of the blood of the Lamb on your doorposts. So there's this sense now, this, this, it, it's broadening this, this concept of what the, the lamb slain is all about. So it's providing this protection for all of the Israelites in the land of Egypt. And, and, and with the application of the blood of the lamb to the doorpost, to the lentils and the, and the doorpost, the household was protected, all right? We saw that, see that um, in, in, in all of this story here. Uh, the Lord passes through. He smites the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the lintel uh, and on the two doorposts, he passes over. And he, he doesn't allow the destroyer to come into that particular house uh, to smite them. We see that in, in verse 23. Uh, in order to receive this protection that's talked about here, uh, it says that the Lord passes through. Uh, to strike the Egyptians, when he sees the blood uh, on the lintel, on the doorpost, he passes over the door. And that's the whole idea of, of Passover, all right? And so here's what you need to understand. God has made a way through his son, through the shed lamb, the destroyed lamb, the sacrificed lamb. He's made a way for your protection. The enemy can't get to you. All right, because of the protection that you have in the blood of Jesus. The lamb had to be slain. Man had to trust God in provision for that lamb. There was a work for man to do, and that was to believe and, and to activate that faith with this action of shedding uh, the, the blood of the lamb and then painting it over the doorpost. It was necessary for a measure of faith to, to be involved. So faith is being brought into this, this process, and, and this lamb is being shed for protection here. This is a, it's just an amazing and wonderful, wonderful story. So that's the next marker on the map, if you will, all right? But we, we continue to move through the scriptures, and, and we begin to, to enter into the book of Leviticus, and we see something else here that I think is absolutely important for this. In Leviticus chapter 22, verse 21, when anyone offers a sacrifice, a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill a vow, or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. 
There shall be no blemish in it. All right? Now, the window is opening much wider here for our understanding. We now see that this, this wonderful sacrifice that is being made to protect us. Now, it must be perfect. It must not have a blemish. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament anticipated it. It foreshadowed, if you will, the true and perfect sacrifice, which is the Lamb of, uh, the Lamb of God that would one day be offered, which is Jesus Christ. All right? These are, these are shadows, if you will, of a coming perfect sacrifice for sin. And that is Christ. Christ is the end of all of these sacrifices. These sacrifices, um, they are a witness, if you will. They are, they are speaking to us, hopefully. They're speaking to the people uh, in, in the days of the Israelites. They're speaking to them to say that, that the only way our sin can be removed, the only way as sinners we can be saved is by a substitutionary death. Something has to die on behalf of us to eradicate that sin. The, the worshiper actually was testifying. When they came and, and they brought their, their lamb and they, they made the sacrifices, they are actually testifying, if you will. Uh, they're saying something about how they are living by the virtue of this slain lamb, this, this victim in their steed, in their place, this one who is the substitute, who is taking the place for them, all right? So uh, the continual sacrifice of these animals, if you will, was testifying. It's, it's speaking. It's, it's crying out, if you will, that, that there's something must happen for the, the removal of sin, and that requires the shedding of blood. It was a promise. Um, it, was, it was a pledge. But God made a greater promise. God made a greater pledge, and that was that He would provide that ultimate sacrifice, if you will. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, for just a moment. It says, Indeed, under the law, all right, in the old way, if you will, all right, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. All right? So this helps us to understand. There had to be this shedding of blood. It was absolutely essential for for you and I to be forgiven. There would need to be the shedding of blood. All right? But let's let's move a little further here. All right? So there had to be shedding of blood for the remission of sin. But let's go a little further down in Hebrews chapter 10 and look at starting at verse 10. It says here, um, And by that will we have been sanctified. How will we be sanctified? Through the offering of the, blood, the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. This is why you and I are not going to the temple every day and sacrificing. It's because we have this amazing gift through Jesus Christ once and for all. It is done. The, the lamb has been slain, if you will. All right? And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. All right? But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. All right? The priest stood day after day after day, sacrificing lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb, doing a work that really couldn't fully do the work that needed to be done. But Jesus does it, and today he is sitting. It's done. He said it's finished. It's over. He is sitting at the right hand of God. And so we, see, we have this, this, this really, really beautiful story. Um, let's go a little further in chapter 10. Look at verses 19 through 20, uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews. 
and he says, he says, brothers, all right, since, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, where is our confidence? It's not in our doing. It's not in our knowing. It's not in our being. Our confidence is in the blood of Jesus Christ, all right? That's how we enter into the holy place, by the blood of Jesus, okay? All right? By the new and living way that he, Jesus, opened for us through the curtain. That is, through his flesh. He did what no man has ever been able to do. So now the revelation is going to really open up for us here as we go a little further because the next point on our map takes us into the book of Isaiah. All right? So we've seen this perfect lamb without blemish um, that is for our redemption. But let's understand that this, this perfect lamb is a person. All right, it moves, it shifts here. Now, we've been talking about lambs being slaughtered. We've been talking about lambs taking away sin. We're talking about lambs not being sufficient. We're talking about a constant work that is going on all the time. But when we get into Isaiah chapter 52, and if you've got your Bible, you may want to go there, but we can, we can look at it on the screen as well. He says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred. Now we're talking about an individual and something is beginning to happen. This is a prophetic picture. It is pointing towards Christ and the crucifixion. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. He was so slaughtered in a sense that they could not even recognize him. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. When Jesus died for our sins, revelation opened. The the window is open now. We see differently. We understand differently. We know differently now because no longer is it about a lamb. No longer is it about a little animal. But it is about Jesus, the Son of God, who has come. The Bible now is saying that this lamb, this one lamb who can do this, is the person of God's choosing. It is his Son who will die this substitutionary death for our sins. And you can find almost all over uh, the New Testament quotes from Isaiah 53. They're just, it, just, it just abounds with these quotes from this particular passage identifying Jesus as this person, the only person who can fulfill this responsibility as the Lamb of God. All right? So that brings us right back. Now, the, the, the map has been marked all the way through the Old Testament We've, we've gone from just the prospect of this idea of a lamb slain to the actual reality that a lamb would be used for worshiping God in sacrifice to this place of understanding that this lamb had to be spotless without blemish. It, it, it couldn't have any, any imperfections, which is the Son of God, obviously. And, and we move then to this idea that this precious lamb is the redemption. It is, the, it is the, the means of taking away sin. And now we're proving that this lamb is indeed a person. And now we come back to John. And we're right where John is. And John says, as Jesus comes walking by, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And so all of this has spoken. All of this, this mapping brings us right to this place where John is. And John the Baptist makes this declaration uh, in John 1, 29. And then he comes right back the next day and makes the declaration in verse 36. Behold, the Lamb of God. Here's what's happening. The Lamb. When we talk about that little animal. The Lamb has been removed now. And it is the Lamb, the Lamb of God, that has taken His place. And so you and I are so privileged to live in this age whereby we are not constantly sacrificing these lambs, but we have, by faith, by faith we have this Jesus who has died for our sins. And this is the beauty of it. Let's, let's go a little further over and look in, in Acts chapter 8. Remember the Ethiopian uh, there? Uh, he was a government of, official. He was just kind of speeding along his way. Uh, he had been in Jerusalem to worship. Uh, he had a, a, a copy of the book of Isaiah. And he's been reading this passage from Isaiah uh, 53 that, that, that we just, uh, 52, 53, that we were just reading, okay? And he is there and he's, he's wanting to know, he's wanting to understand here uh, in Acts chapter 8. Um, and God sends Philip right along. And, and the Bible says that, that Philip, this evangelist, if you will, uh, he begins to speak to this eunuch. This eunuch is asking, hey, what, what is going on here? And it says that Philip opened his mouth and he, he begins from the Scripture to preach Jesus to this Ethiopian. In other words, he's saying, hey, this that you're reading, this that you're, you're, you're looking at here in Isaiah that is, is prophetic and, and speaking forward, I'm telling you it's right now for you. And this is Jesus. Jesus is this lamb slain. And what happens? The eunuch says, I believe. Here's how he says it. He says, he says, I believe, but he doesn't say it that way. They're driving along in the chariot, and he says, stop. There's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? In other words, what he's saying is, I have faith. I have faith. I believe. I believe this message of the Lamb of God. I believe that this Jesus that you speak to me about here is the Lamb of God. Of God. So as we see now, the, the, the map has been up to Jesus now. Now we have John declaring that this Jesus is the Lamb of God. And now we have uh, Philip saying, I want to tell you about this Jesus. And this man now is believing. All right. And that's what that's what that's the power of this message that we have today called the gospel is you and I have the ability to preach the same Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. All right, let's go just a little bit further, though. I want to I I help you to see that this resurrection is, a, is, is, is it's the, it's the living proof. It's the power. It, it, it's the message that we have. Let's go all the way over to 1 Peter chapter 1 and uh, look beginning at, at verse 18. I think the Apostle Peter kind of sums up the whole message here uh, of the Lamb of God. Uh, he says, knowing that you were ransomed, you know, you, you were bought, if you would, you were taken out for a price from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. What's he saying? All right. You've been delivered out of an old way of functioning. You've been delivered out of an old way of thinking. You've been delivered out of an old way of behaving. You've, you've been delivered out of some system that you were in. That was not God's plan for you. And 
you've done, you've, that's been done for you, but not the way people buy out of things. You know, where I, where I work part-time in the gym, you sign a contract. You commit yourself to a lifestyle. You may not live it, but you in some way commit yourself to it. You sign on the dotted line. A lot of people, they sign the dotted line, they agree to pay $49.99 a month for 12 months. And they pay $49.99 for 12 months, and they never step foot in the gym. They're paying the price, but they're not living it. They're, they're, they're not doing it, okay? But some people realize that, hey, I'm not going to do this. This is not, this is, I, I, I can't keep going this way. This is bondage to me, and I'm, I'm not fulfilling my commitment here. And so they come in, and what happens? They can buy out. For a price, they can buy their contract, and then they're free from it. They're not obligated to it anymore. It's a steep price, but they can buy out. Gold and silver is not going to buy you eternal life. There's no other option. There's no other plan for you. The only way in to God is the Lamb of God. And you can't buy out in some other way. It is with the precious blood of Christ. And notice the metaphor. Like that of a lamb. Without spot and without blemish. Where do we already hear that? In the Old Testament. In numerous places. It's already been spoken. And it's speaking to us. And now. Here we have it in the New Testament. And Peter is summing it up for us here. Uh, as we go. He says like that of a lamb, without spot and without blemish. Can we, is, do we, okay. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Wow. Foreknown before the foundation of the world. No, uh, this is how I started the sermon. It's not an afterthought. This is not something that came later because God suddenly got surprised because of the failure of men. All right? No. God had this plan all along. God knew all along from the foundation of the world was made manifest in these days that Peter is in in these last times for the sake of you. God has done this for you and I and we are living in this powerful resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is our response to all of this? What, how, how do we how do we live this today? How do we, how do we incorporate this into our lives today? Well, I think we have to go to the end of the story to understand it fully. And so I want to take you to the book of Revelation, all right? I believe that the intent of God is for you and I to worship, all right? God wants your worship. And God has redeemed you out of sin in order that you might exalt Him and worship Him and serve Him. And worship encompasses far more than meeting on Sunday morning and, and singing a few hymns or a few carols or uh, a few choruses, uh, praying some. That more, it's more than your fellowship together. It is the service of God. Our, our, our worship is to present ourselves as living sacrifices unto God. But let's look here. The, the Lamb of God in the book of Revelation is receiving everlasting worship. The Lamb of God is now the Lion of the tribe of Judah, if you will. And He is reigning as the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going to talk about this kingship next Sunday on, on Palm Sunday a little bit. But, but the whole book focuses our attention on the Lamb standing as if slain at the throne of God. 
and, and the elders, they, they fall down and they worship. Let's, let's, can you pull that up and we can read it? And they sang a new song. This is before the throne of God. Saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed, you pulled out the people. For God, from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. This is what God has done. God has, in a, in a sense, purchased us. But if you look a verse up from there, it speaks of, of, of Jesus and it describes him there before the throne as the lamb slain. All right? We, you, you don't get away from that. It's, it, it stays. It's a part of the powerful message of the resurrection is this lamb who was slain to take away your sins. This, this lamb that is without spot and that is without blemish. All right? And so he says... To this Lamb, all right, to Him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb um, in, in, in Revelation 5, says, Be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Talk about worship. This is a powerful, powerful experience here uh, that we get this little, little uh, window into here. This is us, folks. This is where we're going to be. This is where we're, we are going to land, if you will, because this book ends in, in the presence of the throne and the Lamb. And the Lamb is this, this Shekinah glory of God that is, is giving light, if you will. It goes beyond just what is around the throne in heaven. It goes to this new Jerusalem that is established in the end where we will dwell with the Lord. And if you look at, at uh, Revelation chapter 21, um, in verse 22 and 23 there, it's, it's, it's amazing. It says that, that I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. That's, that's, we're worshiping intimately with the presence of Almighty God and this wonderful Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I hope that this inspires you. I hope that this uh, ignites something inside of you and begins to prepare you. And I hope that this just sort of steeps in you over the next couple of Sundays, all right, until the Resurrection Sunday when we are in high celebration mode, okay? I want you to come in here understanding that this Jesus died for your sins. This Jesus was slain for you. Even if no one else enters into the story, Jesus died for you. He died for your sins. He was that spotless lamb who did what you could not do. But I want you to understand something. Look at, I, I believe it's verse 23. Do you have that one, Dan? Uh, okay, not that, excuse me. It is chapter 21, verse 27, Dan. Verse 27 is where I want to go. And we're going to close with this verse. Um, this is what I want you to understand. Nothing unclean will ever enter that city, New Jerusalem. Nothing. Please hear me, nothing. Why did a spotless, unblemished lamb have to die? Because that is the only way you are sanctified, is by the blood of the lamb. That is the only way you get in. That is the only way you are a part of this, all right? Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those, look at this, 
who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's absolutely no other way but through Jesus. And He has died to make that way for you, to give you the opportunity to not only know Him, but to be written with Him in life. So I'm asking you today, where are you? Where are you in this scheme of things? I've shown you from Genesis to Revelation. I've helped you to see that this Jesus is truly the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is no other. There is no other answer for you. What will you do with the Lamb of God? That's the question. Amen.